Hey, this is Taylor Momsen from the Pretty Reckless, and you are listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando. Guns and Roses are fucking awesome. You know where you are. is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 246. My name is Brando. Another dual interview episode for you today. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to speak to Queensryche singer Todd LaTorre about his debut solo album, Rejoice in the Suffering. February 5th is when it is officially released worldwide, so we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, of course, Guns N' Roses. But first, as you heard at the beginning of the episode, I am so excited to finally get to speak to Taylor Momsen from The Pretty Reckless. She also, The Pretty Reckless, have a new album on the way, finally. Uh, it's been delayed, delayed. What hasn't been because of, uh, you know, look outside, there's a pandemic. But finally, we're going to experience Death by Rock and Roll, February 12th, via Fearless Records. Taylor, uh, I'm I'm so honored to speak with you today uh, for a variety of reasons because I'm just a fan of your music. But you have just been talking so much about this new album. Didn't you just do like a whole Q&A on uh, what was it online just like a few hours ago? So are you all talked out? I hope you, you still got some some energy to, to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I mean talked out. Can you ever be talked out? I think I'm always talked out. No, the Q the Q and A is actually tomorrow. So oh okay. I'm I'm all good. I, you're getting a very fresh sailor at the moment. <laughs> okay, you know what? Maybe that's a good place to start because I don't know what day it is. I was talking to you know one of your friends. Dude, I don't either. <laughs> I was talking to one of your friends on the other line. I'm usually going to the studio and in Tribeca, but right now I'm, I'm here in, in Queens. My own little setup here, but I'm surrounded by cats. It's not, it's it's different. I just don't know what day it is. So I do know the day of the new album, though. That's that's <laughs> you like my segue into uh into that. No, I do like your segue, and Thank it's, you. It, you sound you're speaking my language right now. I'm like I know the I know the record release date. And that's that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, February twelfth. February twelfth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, February twelfth on the books. Every other day, it's kind of blending into every other day. You know, such is the times we're living in right now. <laughs> but it's interesting because you know, and this is you've spoke about this at length that you feel like I mean, this album has taken a while, and obviously, twenty twenty was a monkey wrench for a variety of reasons. So, are you? Is it a sense of relief of just like, oh, thank, I, I can't wait for everybody to hear these songs, or is it kind of just like a monkey off your back and be like, oh, finally, people get to hear these songs. Like, what, what kind of spectrum are you at? I think it's, it's probably both. I think it's, um, it's mostly excitement. I mean, I've been you know, listening to the record for the past year at, like, nauseam, um, so... I'm mostly excited that, you know, I, everyone's going to finally be able to hear it because I'm really, really proud of this album. I think we we really created something special. And in my humble opinion, it, you know, I think it might be the, the best album we've ever made. And so, you know, sitting on it for a year has been um, slightly torturous. <laughs> so mm. I'm just I'm, I'm so excited that there's finally an actual date. And, you know, as the days kind of creep by, it's, it's, you know, less than two weeks away now at this point. So it's or almost two weeks away. I don't know what's coming out, but uh, right, we don't know what day it is. We just know the date. I don't know, but I know February twelfth is coming out, and you know, finally, and I'm just I'm so excited to to share it with the world. I'm so so proud of it. We worked so hard on it, and um, I just I can't wait for I can't wait to share it. Was there any t- temptation? And the the singles that are out now, if, if that's just a teaser, tip of the iceberg, because the album is shaping up to be the best that you've done, which is saying a lot considering what you've already put out, was there any temptation to go back and tweak or just leave it alone and just say when we're ready to like promote it, this is it? Or was there any, like, we got to go back and do this, no matter how slight, you know? Uh, um, I think that, you know, as you always want to go back and 
change very minute little things. If you sit with something for too long, you start to nitpick it apart in a in an unhealthy way. Um, but you know, but that just came due to the fact that you know, of, of quarantine for a year. Um, you know, this album was supposed to be out last year. So I think that you know, when we finished the record, um, it was when you finish an album, you know it's finished. Um, it's it's a, it's a complete product that you're. And a complete work of art that you're extraordinarily proud of. And you know, it's a, it's a very kind of defining, definitive moment when you finish a record because you, there is no questioning in it. Like, and I think that if you're questioning anything on it, that means it might not quite be done. So as soon as you get to that kind of headspace where you go, this is done, it's, it's like this huge kind of weight is lifted and it's, it's just a really exciting moment. And, you know, that happened a year ago. <laughs> Right now it's just been the waiting game of when everyone else can hear it. So, um, so not really. I just, I, I, I've been kind of, I'm just really proud of it. And I've been, like I said, I've been listening to it incessantly and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything, honestly. And I know that there's one thing that you couldn't change because it technically, I guess, wasn't yours. And I'm referring to the guitar, uh, the solo from Tom Morello on your latest single, single, uh, and someone went. So, I'm just you just you're just able to you're you're like that with Tom just be like you know you I don't know if you you tweet him you Snapchat him you know whatever and you just say contribute to this song was there any I know you guys have a, a, a you know a history together was there any sort of you know a hesitation I guess to maybe go from just to, hey we're friends we we will tour we'll do we'll do these things together but to have him contribute musically or it was just hey I'll just get Tom and there was no doubt that he was gonna he was gonna help you. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you never know, you know, when reaching out to an artist, you know, whether it's a good friend of yours or not, you never, you know, when it's a, a creative collaboration, you never know what the person's going to say. Um, I wouldn't say that there was a hesitation. I, I think that when I, 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 first of all, I've known Tom for many years now at this point, um, but we really kind of reconnected a few years back at the Chris Cornell I Am The Highway tribute show because we were both we we're both playing with Soundgarden on the song Loud Love, and that's really kind of where we reconnected or rebonded, rekindled our friendship, whatever you want to call it. Um, and shortly after that show, we were starting to record the, the new record, and I had written the song, and so it went. And just due to the lyrical content and just the kind of overall vibe and energy of the song, it just it felt very fitting for him to be a part of it like it, it felt like it, something that was kind of very much up his alley and uh and i thought that he would contribute this kind of whole other element to it that would that would really elevate the song and uh and i'm not really one to, i don't love collaborations in general like mm. i think that especially now in, in today's market it can be i think that they can be used a lot as like a marketing tool and a marketing technique and instead of a natural organic musical collaboration that, you know, the song is actually asking for. Mm. And this song in particular, like it just felt like he would, he would take it to the next level. And I, I couldn't hear it completed without him. Like it just, it made so much musical sense to me, I guess. Um, and so I, you know, I sent him, I sent him a demo of it. I called him up and was like, Hey, man, we, we listen to this and then see if you would want to maybe lend your voice to this. Cause you have such a, defining sound that is unlike anyone else. I mean, you know, I, I don't need to explain Tom Morello to you. Like, right. He's, you know, he's, he's one of, you know, he's a guitar, you know, legend um, that is so undeniably him. And I just thought that his voice would contribute so much. And, you know, he took a listen and he said, absolutely, I'd love to be a part of this. And um, when he sent, he sent back his tracks and when we put the whole thing together, it just, it, it did exactly what I thought it was going to do. Like he just comes in screaming and wailing like Tom Morello and only Tom Morello can. And it just just heightened the song to its full potential. And, uh, you know, I think it's, the song itself is kind of a straightforward rock song. But, it, you know, if you weren't already cranking it to 10 by the time he comes in, you're, you're certainly turning the dial up on your uh, on your radio or whatever right. you're listening to. Yeah, it's really so I, I got to thank him for that. He really, uh, he really, he really took it to the next level. And, and he, he, he comes in with full force. Right on. And I like your, your viewpoint toward uh, collaboration, that it should come from organic, in an organic place. And since you guys had a, and have a relationship, even though it's done in the modern age where, you know, people are sending it pro tools and all that, there's still an emotion uh, tied to it. And you can hear that 
in the song. Uh, there's yeah, some, there's something that absolutely. You, I I, mm-hmm. I think that it's I think that that's so important that I think I think that you know the way that you know the the kind of the press stunt aspect of it, like. You know, I wanted him to be on the song, whether he wanted his name featured on it or not. I was like, we don't have to feature you. Like, whatever. Like, I just want your voice on this because I think that you will. It's all song driven. Like, it all starts with song. And if there's another musician that's outside of, you know, our band that could take that song to its full potential, then I'm going to at least make the phone call and, you know, attempt to make that happen. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But it's, you know, in this case, it obviously it obviously did. Um, but it's, it's so, it's not about name recognition or anything like that. It's about really fulfilling the song and, and making the song as good as possible. If that makes sense. It does. It would have been great if, you know, he could obviously contributed, but he decided to contribute and just didn't want his name on there, but you used a really bad alias, like Shmam, Shmerel, something really bad. I don't know. Maybe that was funny. It was funny. Funnier. funnier or in my no head. alias. <laughs> it was funnier or in my no head. alias. I mean, look at look at like look at my guitar gently weeps by the Beatles. Like You're it doesn't right. say featuring on it. You're right. But you know, everyone knows who's playing on it. A <laughs> but, better analogy. You know, that that's the kind of voice that I love in music and and in musicians that I I look up to is where they really kind of have they have such an identity in their playing that you don't even have to put their name next to it. Anyone who knows anything is going to hear it and go that. That's Tom Morello, and that's awesome. <laughs> it, it, you're right, and that's what, exactly what I heard, what I said to myself the first time I heard it, and so it went. Uh, you mentioned something that I, I do want to uh, speak about, because uh, one of the themes of this this podcast, I, I, other than maybe the obvious, uh, and we'll get to that, the appetite for distortion GNR theme, but I often talk about mental health. I, I spoke about it last episode with uh, Sean Dowdell of, of Great Days about Chester Bennington, and you, know, you, you spoke about the... Uh, the, the Chris Cornell ceremony and you know, my, my it, it obviously it hit everybody, you know, hard, but uh, it was on a personal note. And I told this, most of my listeners know, and I told uh, Sean this, that my, my dad passed away in similar fashion just a few years prior. So it's interesting. I'm very sorry. And uh, thank you. And I'm very sorry for the loss of your friend. So, you know, you've been very, you. you're welcome. And you've been very outspoken about that. And one thing that gets lost as somebody who, and I'm talking about myself, who is a, a family member, because I've obviously I lost my dad. I, I've almost, I've, I have lost friends to suicide. I, I'm still in therapy, you know, going through my own things. But it's important to see who's around you and how they're affected. So I, I, a, I want to say thank you to how open you've been, you know, about your experiences after Chris. So I, I guess if you can, you know, maybe elaborate more about. The, the song, because I think it was, I'm wondering if it's therapeutic, and this is where it's going to the new album, Only Love uh, Can Save Me Now, right? Where you collaborated with Kim and, and Matt from, from Soundgarden. So I guess I want to know if that was cathartic. Was that like kind of a therapeutic experience? Was that just straight, uh, strictly about the music? Because, you know, as somebody who's gone through what, what you're going through in a way, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard to go back on the mic. You know, I went back on the air like five days after. I knew if I didn't, I would never return, you know? So if you can talk yeah. about that experience. Yeah. I mean, it's a very loaded question. I'm I know. not exactly sure where to begin. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously the, the loss of Chris was extraordinarily devastating to me, um, you know, as it was the entire, you know, music community and music world. It was, it was, um, you know, tragic. Um, and it came as a, as, as a huge shock, you know, as, as any, situation like that um and I mean I guess I kind of just have to go through my like little rigmarole spiel here but you know it it was uh I I I, you know when I found out the news I was not I I was you know devastated it's kind of an understatement of the term um I was in utter shock I thought I, I was convinced that everyone was lying to me and it was just some kind of like sick joke um and it took a while to actually kind of sink in Mm. And, you know, we were in the middle of a touring cycle at the time. And uh, I kind of, we played a few shows after that. But, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion that I was not in a great place to be public. And that getting on stage every night and, you know, as you said, like going back to the microphone and getting on stage every night and, and, and 
you know, trying to perform an entertaining show for fans that are, you know, so deserving of, of the world and, and they're deserving of, you know, my full attention and, and me at my best. And I just, I was not, um, I was too, I was just very unemotionally prepared for that kind of trauma and that kind of shock. And I, I came to the realization that I was not in a good place to be public and that I was, this was unfair to the fans and I, I needed some time. So I canceled everything and, and I went home and um, just to try to, you know, process and grieve in my own time. And as soon as I started to kind of wrap my head around everything and everything and, and put my feet back on the ground or whatever, I, you know, I started to write a few songs, um, get back on the horse or what, whatever stupid analogy you want sure. to throw in there. I was, I was calling our producer Cato and, um, and ask, you know, going, hey, we need to move forward. Like, I have these songs. I don't know if they're for a record or what they're for exactly or or anything. But, you know, let's, we got to do something. So let's, let's get in the studio. And um, as soon as we kind of started to put those plans in motion, I got the phone call that Cato had died in a motorcycle accident. And and that was, that was like, it was the nail in the coffin for me, or it was just very, like, you know, one, two punch very quickly of, of mm-hmm. losing, you know, an idol and a friend. And, and then, Losing our producer and my and my best friend in the whole world, and you know, he's Kato was so much more than than just a producer. I mean, he, he was essentially the fifth member of the band. He just didn't tour with us. Um, you know, there would be no pretty reckless if there was not if I had never met Kato. Um, and so that that took me into a very downward, just very dark spiral of this kind of hole of blackness of depression and substance abuse and everything that comes along with grief and loss and trauma and, and all of that. And, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was a very, very dark period in my life, I guess. And I, I just, I, I wasn't, I think the, the scariest part about it was that I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I could get out of it. And I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if the bigger thing was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, I think that that was, that was kind of the scariest thing is, is I become very content in being numb and, and kind of fading into nothing. And, uh, anyway, sorry, it's a very heavy, point, you know, mental health is, is something that is, I'm, I'm very glad that it's become a, a subject of, um, a, a topic that is being talked about now because, you know, I think there has been so much like taboo around it where it's just, when speak about it, oh, like, and, and now that it's become, you know, kind of part of the nomenclature of society and, and people are speaking about it, I think that can only be good. Um, so anyway, to make a very long story short, I mean, from my own personal experience, the way that I kind of pulled myself out of it was through music. Um, as cliche as that may sound, I've always said that music is like my best friend. It's the thing that, it's the thing that I've, always been able to turn to in times of great happiness and in times of great strife and it's always there for me like it's always supported me and it's never let me down and you know I went through a period there where I couldn't listen to music um everything was too painful everything brought back a memory that I wasn't ready to handle um but eventually I hit the point where I needed it um you know like like I needed food I needed water I needed music because it's the thing that feeds my soul and like keeps me going um and so I started at the beginning I started by listening to the Beatles um I, I you know I kind of asked myself I was like what what made you fall in love with music in the first place and the answer was the Beatles it's you know it's the first band I ever heard it's the first band I fell in love with for the reason I started writing songs when I was very young and so I started there I started at the beginning and I kind of kind of rebuilt myself through through music and through through the records that I grew up loving and almost kind of re-educating myself again. Um, so it almost, I almost felt like I was being reborn through the records that I grew up with. So, so you know, I started with the Beatles and then went into Led Zeppelin and The Who and then Pink Floyd and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton. And eventually that led to being able to listen to Soundgarden again and have, you know, and having that bring me joy. Um, which led to me picking up a guitar, which, you know, everything, everything kind of leads step by into, step. into the next thing, which, which, you know, step by step, baby steps. And, and it kind of, it led to me picking up a guitar, which the natural thing, the natural step after that of just starting to, you know, starting to play music again, just for the fun of it, um, led to me writing, which led to this kind of 
Mm-hmm. Outpouring of this album, I guess. Like I didn't have to I didn't have to try to write this record. It it really it, it just kinda of poured out of me whether I wanted it to or not. Like I didn't I don't think I even really had a choice in the matter. Um, and Only Love to Save Me Now was one of those songs. And it was one of the songs that was uh is written fairly early in, in the writing process, but it was actually one of the last songs we recorded for the album. Um because it was something that I, I needed to kind of take my time with, I think. Um, you know, like every song has its own journey, and, and that one I needed to kind of sit with um, in order to kind of see it to its full potential. And, you know, when I, when I finished writing it, I, I called Matt and Kim, and I had become, you know, relatively close over, you know, the, those years and, you know, everything we, we all went through together and separately and whatever, we became very good friends. And I and I called them and I was like I sent them a demo and was like, Would you guys wanna would you guys wanna play on this? Like I think that you got your unique voice that is unlike anyone else would really take this song and, and make it something extraordinarily special. Um, you know, and the song itself is something that I really worked incredibly hard on and and I love, but I really think that you guys would take it to its full potential and you know, they listened and they said yes and, and to make a full I just, I'm, so, I'm so rambling right now, so I'm, I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> it's okay. To make, to, make a long, you know, I, to make a long story short, it was it was a, it was a fantastic experience. I mean, it was one of the last songs we recorded, but you know, we did it. We we flew to Seattle. We did it in Seattle. We did it at London Bridge Studios, um, which is where you know Soundgarden made Louder Than Love and Pearl Jam recorded Ten and Allison Chains made Dirt. And you know, that was just. I don't want to speak for them because that's not my place, but for me, it was this very kind of full circle moment. Um, all the, everything we've been through to be in that studio and in that space together again, creating something new, at least for me, was this very beautiful full circle moment that was just absolutely incredible. And that song turned out to be, you know, it's certainly one of my favorite songs on the record by far. And I just, I can't wait for people to hear it. So there's my little 15 minute wrap up. Or 15 <laughs> second wrap up. And that's all right. Cause I get, I ask you an apologies for the loaded question. Cause I know I only have you up for a, a certain amount of time, but you know, just from, you know, Brandon to Taylor, I, I wanted to, to thank you for uh, speaking out about it, what you went through and, and what you just spoke about just now, the process of being dark. And it's reflected in songs like 21, which people, uh, 25, excuse me, uh, which people can hear right now and the step by step to get to a good place. And I've had to go step by step. And I'll wrap by, by, by saying, because now I'm in a good place because I'm on the phone with Taylor Momsen. And I want to you know, ask you. Before you get out of here, uh, there is a picture of you with Axl Rose, where he looks like as much as a fanboy as I am right now. I'm just very giddy. So uh, can you tell us maybe, is there any backstory behind that photo or any fun stories about touring with them? Because I was going to ask you, because you alluded to this earlier in, the, in the, uh, the interview, you know, to get Slash mixed in with the Pretty Reckless, I would love to hear a duet with you and Axl, if it comes organically, of course, you know. Um, well, <laughs> that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, I think there's a lot of like Photoshop pictures of us together, but there is one that is real, um, which was taken at a Paris club, uh, while we were on tour with them and he was doing a very like acoustic stripped back underplay show in Paris that we were, you know, fortunate enough to, to go to. And he was just phenomenal. Um, I mean, touring with, with Axel and, and Guns N' Roses, it was, it was great. I mean, that was. I mean, what legends and like to, to watch him perform every night and not miss a step. I mean, like that guy, he's so good. Um, which is, it was incredible. And we were supposed, you know, before the pandemic happened, we were supposed to be doing it again. We were supposed to, in 2020, we were supposed to be opening for Guns N' Roses again. And uh-huh. I was very much looking forward to that. So, um, you know, hopefully that will come around when, uh, come back around when touring comes back around. Cause it was, it was a great experience the first time. And, um, you know, now that Guns N' Roses is actually like a, a reformed, um, you know, full unit again with all the original or you know, most of the original members, Flash and Axel are back together. Um, that was going to be some, it was something I was very much looking forward to. And uh, and I hope that that, I hope that that tour actually does come to fruition in the future. Because it was a great time the first time and it can only get better from there. So <laughs> I'm excited. I think that I, I might have to go uh, all out and buy like a front row ticket for that for because I my my uh, GNR Smashing Pumpkins tickets were canceled 
because of the pandemic. But now add pretty reckless to that. I might have to see two GNR shows next time. Thank you again, Taylor. <laughs> hey, I mean, can you ever see Guns N' Roses too many times? So No, you know. no, you can't. Same thing with because I've yet to see the Pretty Reckless, but whenever I've gotten a chance to play uh, you on the radio, I've certainly uh, played the hell out of you. So uh, February 12th, a date I can remember. Thank you so much, Taylor. I hope we get to do this again. No, absolutely. Thanks so much, Brando. That was so much fun. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get Todd the Tory on now, and we're going to do – my monologue. We're going to kind of wrap up both interviews after that one. We're going to reflect on the episode that was. So let's get Todd LaTorre from Queensryche on the line right now. Hey, Todd, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm living the dream. I'm talking to yeah, awesome. <laughs> Todd LaTorre. Um, as everybody is kind of quarantined, I'm on my couch right now, usually in a studio in, in uh, Tribeca, New York City. But uh, if you don't mind me asking, where are you calling from today? <clears throat> St. Petersburg, Florida. Nice. Okay. You guys are you guys are got got a bunch of snow there. A few days ago, it's uh, starting yeah. to melt. Thankfully, um, you're from, are you? I know you're from Florida. Are you from St. Petersburg specifically? Yeah, I was born born here. Yeah. Oh wow! Still, still live here. Yeah, born here. Still live here, and uh, for now, you know. Okay. One day I'm gonna. One day I'll relocate to to Greece, where my wife's from. Okay. And. Uh, you know, I try to go back and forth when, when I can, but yeah, with, with the shutdown, um, nobody's really doing a whole lot of anything out, out and about in their normal, normal workplaces. But, um, but yeah, it's weather's nice here today and I can't complain, you know, I'm on, the, I'm on the phone with you. So that's good. <laughs> and your solo album, your debut, see how it segues into it. Your debut solo album comes out. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to put this out that yeah. you know the same day I was recording it. I know it's a podcast, but I'm, I keep it real, okay. as the kids say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's I, I mean, rejoice the suffering. Uh, excuse me, rejoice in the suffering. Let me get it right. Uh, so uh, guess what? You've taken advantage of the <laughs> pandemic. We were just talking about you know it's different. So yeah. this was always in the works. <clears throat> so when was this gonna? When was this going to happen? Pro, like pre-pandemic? Is this kind of like a blessing in disguise? Five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. It's it's been it's been something we've talked about, like me and the label, for years. And you know, with Queen Drake always touring and traveling, I just it seems like I never sink my teeth back into this stuff because I'm in Queen Drake world all the time. And then when I come home for just a little bit of time, I, I honestly, I don't feel like working on music when I've been traveling and I'm, I'm only home for a few days or a week or even two weeks. It's, it's tough to every single day, just do that. And so when the shutdown happened, uh, I called Craig Blackwell, the guy who co-wrote everything with me and played guitar and stuff on the record. <clears throat> I said, this is our time right now. Cause like, no, you're, we're, I'm never going to have this kind of downtime. This never happens. So let's take advantage and that's exactly what we did, you know, totally took advantage of this time and banged it out. And I'm glad you did because uh, I'm going to be honest, as I said, uh, as the kids said, <clears throat> keeping it real, I was just listening to Rejoice in the Suffering in my headphones. Uh, oh, just, cool. Yeah, just now. And A, I was going to ask you, you know, about the band. So uh, Craig uh, Blackwell, you said you said plays guitar, right? Yep. Craig Blackwell plays all the guitars and bass on it and did the keys. Mm. And then I did uh, drums and vocals. So it's it the two man, two man show. I can't Just believe two of us. that's two yeah. people. I can't believe it's two people. That's it. Cause I, I, I'll, <laughs> I was sitting here and I have no musical talent. That's why I do radio. I can't, you know, my air drumming looks like I'm having a seizure, you know, have a guitar, I'm having a stroke, but whatever. I'm doing my version of air guitar and air drums in my, you know, as I said, I'm at home. My fiance's next to me, and I think she's uh, second guessing her choice because I was like, <laughs> I was so into it. It is a great, great aggressive <clears throat> album, and it's such a classic voice you have on it. So, uh, let me say, it's before a we, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot of words. I was going to say aggressive, just a classic, uh, you know, old school, but it sounds fresh kind of metal. So, yeah. let me just say congratulations. Yeah. I know it's, you said five years. But it's it's finally out, or it yeah, will be. thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. Some people have already gotten their copies, you know, from pre-orders and whatnot. And uh, you know, to make sure that 
it's not showing up super late plus with weather and everything that's going on you know different parts of the country and and it's a worldwide release as well so some people are already getting it before its official release date and and they're already enjoying it and and it's it's cool man it's exciting it's it is it is kind of it's like back to our roots on this record and and the stuff that we like about uh, different aspects of 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 heavy metal and it was all about writing fun cool songs that make you want to groove that have attitude that are aggressive but still have you know some slow stuff and dynamics and it was just a, a culmination of songs we wrote over a four month time of stuff we just like so it was just really having fun and that's that's what's translated on the record it came out because that's how i felt i i hmm. i felt to myself i'm like what was the last time you know that i've just kind of like I don't know. Give me energy. Maybe if, I don't know if I'm coming off uh, extra yeah. hyper right now, but this is off the high, honestly, of maybe some Red Bull. But uh, rejoice in the suffering. <laughs> <laughs> it is the it's it's a groove. It's aggressive. Your voice is great, and I guess uh, it's an interesting segue because I don't know if, know if you need a sip of water, please. If you need uh if you need one, uh, take one. Yeah, I just I just I just got up not long ago and I'm having a coffee and it's just you know okay I'm just clearing my throat. Sorry. No, no, all good because it's a good. Segway, something I wanted to ask you is your your vocal yeah. regimen. You know, wh- wh- A, what is it? And how is that? I has don't it, really have one. No? Because I guess it yeah. hasn't changed since you've been home, since you haven't been touring, and it hasn't been, you know, hard to keep your voice up. You haven't been doing anything. It just You're just talented. That's it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, I mean, not it, a lot of it's conditioning. When you're touring all the time, you're constantly singing. And so, yeah, it's like exercising, working out. If you don't lift weights for a period of time and you go to lift the same weight, it's not going to be as easy. But, you know, having done the record and writing and recording and singing and doing all that for that four month period, I mean, I was singing, you know, constantly every day. Um, Now that it's, it's, since it's been completed, I haven't been singing as much. I'm just kind of doing other things um, around the house and just other things in life. And <clears throat> typically I really don't, I really don't do much. I don't, uh, I don't really have a special regimen per se. I just, maybe I'll do a few little warm ups depending as a gauge to kind of see where my voice is sitting that day. And it depends on how much I've been talking. Like I've been doing a lot of it, a lot of press and interviews. So, right. so my no, voice has been no hot tea. Kind of a little bit worn out. Like hot- I mean, I do drink, I do drink hot tea. Um, which I like, but I'm a big coffee drinker. So I drink a lot of coffee. I drink many cups of coffee a day. And a lot of it has to do with just rest and the weather. And sure. there's a million variables, I, but there's never one. Every I, I know singers that have all these special do's and don'ts. I don't really have that. I just kind of like, I don't know. I've done everything wrong that you're, that you shouldn't like, they say like, don't do this, don't do that, and I've I've done them all, and literally had the best performances of my life. And huh. then I've tried to do everything by the book and sounded like crap. So I don't have anything that's tried and true, but I do have things that that help me a little bit <clears throat> with kind of gauging where my voice is and um, and that kind of thing. But I wish I had a better answer for you. Like, yes, do this every day and do that. <laughs> I I really don't have that. No, you're, there is no better answer. Your answer is yours. <laughs> that's, that's pretty Yeah, every, everyone's body's different. So right. what works for somebody else might not, I might not feel the benefit of that. I don't know. Another thing I'm curious, uh, curious if I can pronounce the word, uh, about is as you've gotten, like, I guess this is, you know, a lot of people might be introduced to you for the first time that may not know Queensryche and just see this new solo album by Todd Tory and, and discover you and, you know, you see, you know, I don't want to, you know, give you away, but, you know, you're in your 40s, right? So it's a... Uh, yeah, I'll be 47 this month. Yeah, so I'm, I don't want to, you know, I'm, th- I'm 37. I don't know how I, I young or okay. old I sounded. But even, I guess to compare, I know as a, when I was 27, as somebody on the radio, I sounded much different. What about you and your voice as you've gotten older? Is there anything you've noticed about it, things that you've learned maybe that you can do because, 
you know, I've take, taken, you know, minimal vocal lessons, things like that. But a lot of it's kind of self-taught or watching other people, how to, what to do, had my pacing and everything, you know. So what have yeah. you learned, I guess, as a vocalist? And maybe has your voice changed uh, since you were, you know, first, first, um, when you first started? Well, that's a good question. Um, they say that your voice changes as you age. Right. And so that's probably an, an inevitable factor. Um, and then you couple that with maybe a hundred shows a year. And I've been in Queensryche. Well, this will be nine years. Uh, this year makes nine years I've been in the band. So wow. you've got a ton of touring. And, and here's the, the, the weird part about that answer is you say, okay, well, you've, you've been conditioned and you've, you've toured and performed so many shows. Wouldn't that make your voice even better? Because you're, you're using it. At the same time, it's still tissue and it's sense, you know, it's, it reacts to different uh, environmental factors and, and all these other things that I guess your voice does change. And, and also when I was in Crimson Glory before Queensryche, I was singing much higher and I don't sing those songs anymore. And so I think some of my, my really high range isn't as good I, when I listen to some of the stuff I sang in Crimson Glory, I'm like, holy crap, I did that? I don't, there's no way I could do that now. <laughs> my wife always says, no, I think it's, you still have it. You just don't, you're, you've conditioned your voice differently for the Queensryche stuff. Mm. And so, and so I, there are some technique things that, that did change when I got into Queensryche <clears throat> with my voice. So I'm actually, it's something that I really want to kind of do is go out into my studio put on some of the old stuff that I used to sing before Crimson Glory and, and find that, that mechanical thing that, okay, I can access this note. Some days I can, I can go to the stratosphere effortlessly. And then there's other days where it's just like, it's not even close. I mean, it, there's no way I can do it. And it's not that physically my voice doesn't do that. It's not capable. It does. It's just a matter of, well, why, why, why did I do it yesterday and today I can't. Right. And so it's a constant learning thing for me. And I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm a self-taught singer. I, I've never, you know, I've never taken vocal lessons to learn how to do what I know how to do. And so it's just constant experimentation. And, and, and sometimes it's a big mental battle because when you can't hit a note that you, you know that you've done before, but it just doesn't seem accessible anymore. That's really hard on your psychology because you're, and now you're, you're seeing the note not even attainable and, and, and you've already placed some physical limitations just from the psychological aspect of that. So my voice has changed in some ways, but I mean, I, I hit some, some decent notes on this record, but nothing like what I did in Crimson Glory. I mean, that was that was kind of ridiculous, actually. Like, I don't know that I want to sing that high. <laughs> it's not necessary on this record. Like and I I'm said, a baritone. Oh, I'm actually right. a baritone. Mm. <clears throat> you know, range has a high end <clears throat> and a low end, and and I, I am a baritone. So what people think, wow, that's so high, they think I'm a tenor, but I'm, I'm actually not a tenor at all. I could tell from your radio voice, you know, you're a baritone. You have a good radio voice. Uh, yeah, hi, you're listening to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I can get pretty. But you know, hitting hitting the low notes and having warmth and resonance around that note is also. People might be impressed with the high notes, but when we do a song like "Silent Lucidity," mm. and and they hear they hear the 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 ease of singing in the lower register. Wow, I didn't know you could sing that low. And I'm like, well, that's, that's actually how I, I kind of speak. And when I'm normally speaking, I'll pitch it higher just because it's easier to hear and it cuts through the, the, the ambient noise better. But if I'm just speaking normally, like relaxed and calm, this is where my voice sits down here. But a lot of times I'll kind of talk up here because it's easier. It translates easier. Mm. You know, there's so much that goes into it. It's, it's just absolutely fascinating. So I appreciate you breaking that down because Again, me and, and wanting to have the, the the seamless transition until I announce it. Uh, you know, obviously this is appetite for distortion, and you know, I, I was appreciative that you wanted to to come on a, a Guns N' Roses themed podcast. Obviously, you know, I could talk to anybody yeah. and anything using that six degrees of GNR bacon, as I like to call it. So when you were you, you had told me, or you know, through our, our common friend that. 
you used to cover Guns N' Roses back in the day when you could hit those high notes, right? Was that the, the period that you your, well, that band covered GNR? Well, I went back in my teens, like when Appetite for Destruction came out, Okay, um, I was playing in a band as a drummer. And so we would cover like um, uh, Rocket Queen. We would cover um, Mr. Brownstone, Paradise City. But I always like liked to sing, even though I wasn't the singer in the band. And there was a lot of stuff that I that I could mimic really well from like the song Patience. Um, and, and again, just experimenting with what makes this singer sound the way that he sounds. And, and Axl Rose, when, when that record came out, and keep in mind, I was a big metal head. <clears throat> and Guns N' Roses isn't metal. They're not a metal band. I hear you. But, the, but the, the glam scene was like, I wasn't into that. And, and so Guns N' Roses wasn't that to me. They came out with this sound. It was like everyone was playing pointy guitars or strats. And, and then here comes this guy with a top hat and a Les Paul. And you're like, you know, the last Paul, come on, you know, and then they, they played and it was like, okay, this is, this sounds like nothing else right now. There's something different here. And, and they, they were edgy and raw. And then they, God damn, the melodies of those songs are just, they're perfect. And that, that's such, that's one of my all time favorite records still. I mean, in worldwide, it's a very coveted album. And <clears throat> that was a very influential album for me in many ways. And, you know, I loved drumming it, but the singing on it was, you know, Axl Rose has a very identifiable sound. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, great band. Um, it's cool to see them still playing. Is there a, a song that, you know, when you heard his voice, you know, in particular, kind of as a singer, from a singer's perspective, they were like, whoa. Was, you hear a lot, and this actually happened to the bring in, you know, maybe I'm scoring up brownie points now, to bring in my fiance again in this, into this conversation. I recently played her Appetite for Destruction full, full through for the first time. She's a Dave Matthews yeah. fan. It is what it is. But she thought, <laughs> welcome. They're a great band. They are. They are. I, I, I kid. Uh, welcome to the Jungle and It's So Easy, of course, the first two tracks. The, she thought it was two different singers. And I've heard that before from other people. Well, and then that's, you know, he had that, he had that, uh, he's, he's very bassy. He's got a deep voice. So when he's, you know, when he would do it, it's a and he had that uh, kind of little bit of a masky sound. When everybody's driving the breeze, then it's gets into the high stuff, like welcome to the jungle. And he just, yeah, the guy had different voicings. And he had unique little isms. Um, you know, James Hetfield will do it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that little tail at the end. And certain singers have their own little thing. And he just had some different voicings and, you know, good vibrato. But I remember when I heard the end of Welcome to the Jungle where he does that. He's doing going through the scale. Yeah. And, and it's a very long, you know, he does it for a long time. And, and I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's gotta be really hard to do. Of course, he's a young, young guy back in those days doing that when, you know, your, your right testicle hasn't dropped yet. <laughs> and, you know, but he was just, he was just masterful back then in his own way. And there was a, there was an in, there was a, a, a perfection to the imperfection. There was a, a, a purity there that existed that didn't sound formulated or contrived it sounded very authentic and i think that that came across to a lot of the people that heard that um it didn't sound you know 101 here's the formula guys we're gonna this is how we're gonna do the song it was almost like we're just gonna write what we write and if you like it great if you don't whatever and there's a there's some you can hear that in that record and i, I don't know how they i don't know how they made it or or anything like that but I, I'm assuming that that that's that might be true. That there was just a very unhib, uninhibited, um, unrestrained aspect to that writing and, and approach and delivery that a lot of uh, 
labels, well, now I don't know that you're getting much nurturing from, from record labels to develop an artist, but right. it seems like they were just given carte blanche, just here, do it, do what you do. And, and it worked. They didn't sound like anybody else and they don't sound like anybody else. Is there something, you know, it, it's, you're, you're right. Cause there are a lot of singers and, and any instrument that have that little something that, you know, it's them. It's identifiable. Is there something that you, maybe you, you personally, uh, want to be known for as a vocalist? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would like to, I would like people to know that I'm not a one trick pony. Cool. That I do have other textures and colors and sounds to my voice. Um, and, and not that, you know, a lot of singers have just one sound and no matter who that singer is, if they said, Hey, I want to hear, I want to hear Steven Tyler sing this song. Like you're gonna know, you're going to know, identify, Oh, that's, that's Steven Tyler or Steve Perry or, uh, uh, Axl Rose, for example, like he's not, he, he has a very identifiable sound and even though he could do other things, but you know, I, I like to think that I'm able to conform into uh, another voice where you would hear, you would hear me on one song and then hear me on something, you hear me on a Queensryche song and then play Vanguards of the Don Wall off my new record. And you would never know that's the same guy. I like that. Right on. Rejoice in the Suffering, a worldwide release, uh, February 5th via Rat Pack Records. Uh, Todd Latore, thank you so much for your time today, and I hope we get to do this again. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Anytime you want to, uh, you need another guest to jump on your podcast or, <laughs> or anything like that, I'd be, I'd be honored to, and, and I appreciate the, the questions. They were really unique and creative and fun. Thank you. And um, thanks for, for checking out the record. And I, and I, I do hope that you like it. I do. And, uh, you know, share, share it around and talk about it and we'll make a little splash with it. So, well, I'm going to take off my headphones, blast it and just piss off my fiance. <clears throat> so that's what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then, then tonight she'll say, okay, you got to play that. Now we get to listen to my music yeah. and you can listen to Dave Matthews. I tonight. Know. She woke up in the morning. All right, there we go. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks so and much. That drummer is one of my. That's one of my oh, yeah. favorite drummers too. Oh yeah, what's uh, Carter Buford, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I love I love his phrasing as a drummer and his hi hat work. He's a super tasty drummer. Love that guy's drumming. They are very talented. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> thanks so much, Todd. You have yeah. a great day. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you kindly. Appreciate it. You got it. Bye. Take care. All right. Amazing. Two great interviews today about two great records. So let's wrap up. Let's, um, if you've been listening to since episode one, you kind of can tell I'm making this up as I go along. So, you know what? Let's kind of have like a post interview wrap up. And that's what I'm going to call my monologue. Monologue. <laughs> Just from the sound bite. I mean, I'm a special person. You can tell. And I, I really appreciate the uh, Todd acknowledging my creative questions. Todd does a lot of interviews. And I was kind of watching one before to kind of, you know, I do my best not to ask all the same questions other people do. And he, he did a podcast that was four hours with somebody. I mean, Todd is great, but that's that's a long time. You know, so it's hard to be creative, but not me and my chemical imbalance, apparently. A uh, good thing I can laugh because, you know, it, it goes – as we reflect back with the Taylor interview, you know, I, I can be all over the place even though this is a Guns N' Roses-themed podcast. We're talking about depression and suicide. We're talking about metal. We're talking about all these different things. So with co meeting me for the first time after you get like, oh, Appetite for Distortion. This is a GNR-themed podcast. You, you learn about me. You're, you're, you're a humble host. So with adding all these new videos up on YouTube – Maybe you're watching this on YouTube now. Uh, my numbers are still great on podcasts. However you listen, you, you, you get your podcast. Thanks for, for downloading uh, and, and streaming, however you do it. Uh, and if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, yeah, please do. That's where all the Zoom interviews live. And I'm just trying to throw pictures up whenever I just do a over the audio, whenever I'm doing like an audio-only episode like this one. So somebody uh, commented on the uh, interview, another dual episode that I did. The episode with uh, Ricky Warwick 
of Thin Lizzy, Black Star Riders, and Steve Gonzalez of Ghost Nation. Great episode, you know, very interesting. Uh, I would like to get uh, some feedback on the Steve Gonzalez uh, interview, by the way. You know, what did you think of that? So this person who I, I don't know, always getting new listeners all the time. That's the point. Uh, Michael R. writes on YouTube, cool interview, although the host seems a little unstable. <laughs> we all go a little mad sometimes. I can laugh about it now because I know what being unstable feels like. And I know, I know where I am now. I mean, I mean, who wants to be completely stable? I'll actually give a, a shout out to my buddy, Bill Powell, uh, at Bill Powell photo. Uh, he writes, who wants to be stable anyway? That's boring. Yes, that's the point. That's the point. So, you know, I, I think today we had very non-boring interviews with Taylor Momsen and, uh, and Todd Latore. And, and Taylor, she, she could have kept going. You know, we spoke off the air about it. And she's like, oh, I thought since this is a podcast, we were going to be talking for a couple hours, you know, and she, we had like a half an hour reserved. Uh, it's fine. You know, she's a ton of different interviews, different amount of, uh, you know, time slots for each. So it's easy to get confused about that. So she could have kept going. She wanted to talk more about Guns N' Roses. So we'll, we'll get her on again. I believe that for sure. And Todd also, he was great. He's great insight into vocals. And I don't know about you, just thinking about how that pertains to Axl Rose now, you know, uh, it's just interesting to hear it from his perspective because I don't sing. So I, I never want to be too critical of what Axl can, you know, quote unquote, can or can't do because you get older, your voice changes. It's, it's just, it is what it is. And I still enjoy him in concert. Um, it, so I, I, if I can ever, you know, interview one of Axl's vocal coaches, I think that's, that was going through my head then. I think that's uh, that's on my to-get list. And who, whoever is on your to-get list, whoever you want to hear on the podcast, don't forget you can always reach out on social media. That's how the conversation continues in between episodes of Facebook.com, uh, Twitter, at the AFD Show, Appetite for Distortion on Instagram, again on YouTube, always reading comments, whether they're uh, complimentary or they're telling me that I'm unstable. I'm reading them <laughs> and conversing with you. It's a very uh, fan-friendly podcast okay and i will tell you about this uh all speaking of fan friendly uh, doug goldstein former manager of guns N' roses is very fan friendly uh, as you can tell if you've listened to episodes he's done with me we spoke on the phone yesterday and he can't wait to do an episode maybe the next one about the reels documentary about axel did you watch that only reason i was able to because i don't get that channel shout out to uh, ali garza who streamed that on uh, I think it was on the Not In This Lifetime Facebook uh, group that I was able to watch it. Very uh, old school watching somebody. <laughs> it was like watching Periscope, watching somebody else watch their TV. But whatever, I got I got to watching it. And Doug says they're, uh, they, they kind of edited his, his interview in a way that he didn't like. He wanted to clear things up specifically about the contract signing, the infamous, hey, uh, Slash and Duff, if you don't sign over the name, the band is over, you know, kind of thing. Well, Doug thought he cleared that up, but they edited that out. So we're going to get the full story from Doug in the future. Okay, so stay tuned for that. As what else is to come, I don't know. When are you going to see that episode? Well, in the words of Axel Rhodes concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Security, I'm going home.